Don't look now. Welcome to Don't Look Now, the podcast with your hosts, Jenny McDonald and Will Hageman, uh, coming to you again with another story this week. Of course, I have no idea what it is because Jenny always keeps me in the dark. So, <laughs> Jenny, what, what are we talking about this week? Well, so today I thought that we could talk about the most famous murder of the Gilded Age, which if you weren't certain on that time frame... Um, it's the era that occurs in the late 19th century, century from about the 1870s to the 1900s. Area the era of the robber barons and whatnot. That's so. right. Shit, tons of rapid economic growth and the robber barons being assholes, basically. <laughs> uh, also, there was a ton of philanthropic deeds that happened during that time that were good, but like keep robber barons in mind. Yeah, That's yeah. important. Like. That really sets the stage for what we're looking at. Nice. So I'm trying to think of what the famous, most famous murder of that age would have been. It's actually one of the most famous cases in all of American history. Ooh. Man. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> so it totally captivated the entire nation for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's hallmarked with just like gossip scandal and technically it's unsolved but not untried okay and there is a childhood rhyme that almost every person knows that talks about it god i don't know why nothing is coming to me at all <laughs> all right well I'm really stupid really soon but i do i do not know I'm going to tell you the childhood rhyme in literally the first two words you're going to know exactly what this is all right Lizzie Borden took an axe ah, and gave okay. her mother 40 yeah. wax. And when she <laughs> saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Nice. Yes. Now I know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so those numbers aren't correct, but that's the, the basis of this story. So here we go. Cool deal. Lizzie Borden was born in Fall River, Massachusetts on July 19th of 1860. Her full name is Lizzie Andrew Borden, which I think just sets her up for failure from the beginning. I just want <laughs> to know. That is yeah. not normal. I guess interesting, it but not, not normal. So yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. She's named after her father. Yeah. Which is also very telling. Um, <laughs> her mother died in 1862. So two years after she was born, and her husband's left with these two little girls to raise, um, the oldest being Emma and then baby Lizzie. Okay. Um, because it's the 1860s. He's like, oh, shit, uh, better get remarried and have someone take care of these babies. <laughs> <laughs> so he marries what they describe as a chubby spinster. This poor woman gets described as being rather large at various points of her life. Um, but she's... Uh, a larger spinster by the age of 38. Yep. God, we don't follow these rules anymore. <laughs> and her name is Abby Durfee Gray. Um, and little Lizzie is three years old at the time that they get married. 
and Abby, the or Emma, the oldest, is 12. So okay. Lizzie calls the new wife mother, um, but the older daughter, Emma, who knew her mother, calls her okay. Abby. She's like, mm, okay. you're not mom, you're Abby. Okay. So I'm going to tell you this story from two very interesting articles that I've kind of like amalgamated the important points from. So one looks at it from the, the point of this waspy background and like the, the enculturation of why they would have believed things the way that they did. And the others looking at it from the socio context of what's going on outside of the wasps. So what's happening in the greater like United States. Okay. So it's kind of important to know that whole story because it makes this story much more interesting to me. Nice. So Andrew Borden um, is super, super wealthy. Like bro has some money, but he is extremely miserly. His sole interest in life is money. Like he could give a crap about creature comforts. Mm -hmm. Um, So he had, banking operations he was part of cotton mills he was in real estate and no matter how much money he earned and how comfortable his family could be he still would like get eggs from the farm and take them downtown and sell them to his business associates like he'd have (laughs) a basket with him and go to a corporate board meeting and be like hi i'd like a quarter here's your dozen eggs for the day like i think that is actually a straight up scene from ducktales with scrooge mcduck but yeah it might be. Yeah. I think he actually shows up at the board meeting at some point and sells people eggs. So yeah, you know, we'll see. So but he yes. might be based off cartoonish of level miserliness. Yes, exactly. Okay. Cartoonish level. So at the time in 1800, he's worth about a half a million dollars in pre IRS gold standard dollars, which is like yep. millions in current money. Right. Yep. Um, and he's literally so tight fisted that he will not install running water in the house. So there's a latrine in the cellar, a hand pump in the kitchen, and the bedrooms were outfitted with water pitchers, wash bowls, chamber pots, and slop pails. This is during a time when they could have had a water closet. Yeah. So he's a little bit of a control freak when it comes to money. And then being married to this gentleman for so many years that is very tight with money. Um, Mm -hmm. The wife develops an eating disorder and really like packs on a bunch of weight. It said that she was five foot tall and she ended up more than 200 pounds, which is not great for a wee frame. It's a big frame after a while. And she very seldom leaves her house because she like starts to become agoraphobic And she only leaves if she's going to go visit her half-sister, a woman by the name of Mrs. Whitehead. Okay. That's settled. So I'm not quite dates-wise there what I need to be in my head to figure out some of this. So we might have to do some math on the fly. At the time of the murders, the elder Borden daughter, Emma... Mm-hmm. Uh, was 42 years old. Okay. So they've all been part of this whole family for a hell of a long time, in other words. Yeah. Hell of a long time. Other than going to the grocery store or to, like, the market, 
Emma rarely goes anywhere except for around the corner. So like she's also another homebody to visit another spinster by the name of Alice Russell. So compared to everybody else, Lizzie is this like prom queen, popular girl, really involved in the community. Um, She was never known to go out with men, Mm -hmm. but she goes out all the time. So she's a member of the Central Congressional Congregational, uh, where she teaches Sunday school. She's the secretary treasurer of the Christian Endeavor Society. And she was a card carrying member of the Women's Christian Temperance Union. All right. Carry nation and all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) this is um, one of the things that made me giggle in the article that talks about the wasp tendencies, it was, they asked the question, what does she look like? Like everybody else in that inbred wasp town. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently um, she had a very common face type in new Bedford and was described as you meet Lizzie Borden every day and everywhere about town. Some versions of her are fairer. Some are younger, some are coarser, but yeah. they all basically look alike. They all have <laughs> a heavy lower face, high cheekbones, wide eyes, heavy lips, and a deep line on each side of the mouth. Yeah. Um, also, they describe every woman in these articles as being plump by our standards. <laughs> That's an interesting, interesting observation. Right. Which tells me that she's probably, you know, healthy looking. Yeah, which is also interesting because overall we're far more heavy now than people were then. But <laughs> we're just heavier but judgier. That's that's all, you know. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, they also note, and it's really funny because this gets brought up a lot, but she has blue eyes, and like all blue-eyed women, a ton of blue dresses. The number of blue dresses, honestly, in every article I pulled there, and I read probably 30 different articles, they bring up the number of blue dresses that this woman owns constantly. So she must've had like 70. I don't know how she got the money out of her dad to buy all these dresses, but she had a bunch of them. Nice. So five years prior to the murders, the Bordens as a family had a family fight. Um, Dad, Andrew, put one of his rental houses in his new wife, Abby's name, new wife, wife at the time, Abby's name. Yeah. Fully grown ass women, Lizzie and Emma were furious. They were like, um, here's the thing. Whatever you do for her, you do for us. Oh, God. Uh, which is apparently like the wasp version of a conniption fit. And he knew it. Yeah. So... <laughs> He decided to engage in a little bit of fair play and bought each of his daughter's houses of identical value, which was $1,500. Alrighty. So everybody's even Steven. Everything is settled. Everybody's going to be calm now. But here's the thing. They didn't really talk about this situation. So everybody just kind of broods and is nasty and, it's a bunch of women living in a house with a man. I can imagine they got kind of pissy with each other because they're all very like set in their ways. So the, the board and daughters decide they're going to not eat with their parents anymore. 
which meant that the maids had to set two meals every day for each meal because they were that level of petty that they wanted to eat at a separate dinner time entirely, right? They never quite got to the stage that you never talk, Mm -hmm. but they rarely spoke with each other. Um, In fact, they stopped calling Abby, Abby and mother and switched entirely to calling her Mrs. Borden. (laughs) This is like 30 years later. We're talking, she has been their mother for 30 some years. And it suddenly went from mother to Mrs. Borden. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's some cold, like high class nonsense. That's some British right there for you. There, there's a, there's a, yeah, string of old school New England stubbornness in there that is just kind of interesting. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a little Germanic too. There are a lot of stories in my extended older family about you know people just going thirty years without speaking to each other over minor offenses and things like that. It just used to be the thing that you know. Yes. So. They let this stew for about four years. And Lizzie is like, huh, I still don't like her. So she sneaks into the master bedroom through, apparently it was like one of those houses that has a joined door between her bedroom and her parents' room. Okay. Opens the door, walks in, steals all of her stepmother's jewelry and her dad's loose cash. (laughs) Now here's the thing. They knew she had done it. Yeah. And she knew that they knew that she had done it. Yeah. But instead of, you know, being adults and talking about it, dad calls the cops, lets them do the entire investigation. Mm -hmm. And the whole family Instead of being like, she just, we know she did this. They're all like, the unknown thief must have come in through this door. Yeah. So, at that point, everybody now knows during the investigation that she did it. And dad's response to this was that everybody bought a shit ton of locks for the house they got (laughs) key locks they got bolts they got hooks they got chains they got padlocks um and mama miss abby just like locks and bolts her side of the door so that the girls can't come in through their bedroom door and on her side lizzie puts her own lock and hook and a big (laughs) piece of furniture in front of the door so they couldn't get in. And then on the main door to the bedroom, Andrew puts the biggest, strongest lock in a deadbolt. And then he did the most passive aggressive thing I can think of. He took the damn key, walked downstairs where everyone's watching him and placed it on the mantle (laughs) and left it there. Nice. And just like knew that. So here's the thing. If she touched it, if she took that, everyone would know it was her. Mm -hmm. So he made it super clear that he's like, I trust you, but also I don't trust you. (laughs) So you do it, 
but let's see what happens. So there it sat and it just sat there. Um, I can't even imagine how uncomfortable that was. Like <laughs> even their housemaid was like, okay, <laughs> this is sure. That's weird. <laughs> But she describes the house as being really peaceful because they weren't noisy people because they never talked to each other. <laughs> uh. So the housemaid's name is Bridget. Bridget is a generic term used for any maid of Irish descent, apparently, in this area because that's a really common Irish name. But instead of learning her actual name, they just called her Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah painting a good picture here i can definitely we can see these people so yeah yep. yep um but here's something really interesting bridget really liked lizzie you want to know why because lizzie called her by her real name which was maggie nice but also potentially Maggie may have been the name of the former maid. They aren't real clear in any of the articles. <laughs> I was going to say Maggie is a far more generic Irish girl name than Bridget, but whatever. Apparently at that time and place, Bridget was much more synonymous with just Irish maid. Yeah, which you had to have. They, they might as Irish well made, but it's a classy Irish maid name. It's not, you know. Right. Not Maggie or Molly. It's Bridget. Yeah. Yep. St. Bridget. There you go. Yep. So a week before the murders, old older sister Emma does something totally outside of her wheelhouse. And she goes to Fairhaven, which is 15 miles away to visit an elderly friend and to escape this massive heat wave that had descended on Fall River. So that same week, Lizzie was like, I'm going to go to a beach house with my girlfriends out on Buzzard Bay. So she and five of her friends, like, go to the beach. Um, but once they're at the beach, her friends are like, she was just really preoccupied, didn't really, like, engage with us. Um, and then all of a sudden, she cuts her vacation short, says that she has some church work to do, and goes back to Fall River, where it's currently experiencing temperatures of upwards of 100 degrees mm -hmm. and a house with no toilets. I'm just going to reiterate that they are using chamber pots. It had yeah. to have been hot and smelly. So she's back home, stupid hot. And she's in her room, just brooding. Somehow she'd found out that Abby was about to acquire more real estate, that her husband was going to put a farm in her name and install her brother, his brother-in-law, John Morse, is a caretaker. That was especially infuriating to both Lizzie and Emma because they were not speaking to Uncle John. <laughs> He'd been totally cut off from them because they believed that he was involved in the original real estate transfer that had started the whole no-talking scenario. Nice. Um, and they thought that he was trying to plot... Emma and Lizzie out of the inheritance from Andrew Borden. Okay. On the day before the murders, 
everybody in the house is feeling crappy because they've all gotten food poisoning um, from a few days previous from a bad mutton soup. <laughs> right. But then the day before the murders, Lizzie joins Abby and Andrew for lunch for the first time in five years. All right. So like a lot of people's joke, was this supposed to be her airtight alibi? Like who would murder someone after eating lunch with them? <laughs> Could be. I was on good terms. We had lunch. Right. We just had lunch together. And even like one step further, she goes to visit a friend nearby named Alice Russell and says, I just have this feeling that something's going to happen, a feeling that somebody's going to do something. And she keeps like really pushing these stories about how shitty her dad is and how like farmhands get in fights with him all the time because he's so freaking cheap and how, you know, he's this ruthless businessman and everybody hates him. And she wouldn't be surprised if somebody burned down the damn house. Mm -hmm. So when she gets home, Good old Uncle John has arrived and plans on spending the night since she's still not speaking to him, even though she just had lunch with mom and dad. She's just like, F you, I'm going to bed. So she goes to her room. So it's August 4th, 1892. The sun has arisen, barely. It's already 80 degrees outside. Uh, <laughs> this, the thing that I'm about to tell you makes me laugh so hard. I can't even tell you this. So it's 100,000 degrees outside. I can't even imagine this. And they decide that they're not going to deviate from their normal breakfast in any way, shape, or form. And because this murder story is so popular in American culture at the time, what they ate was printed in every newspaper in the world. And it was discussed <laughs> for years. And there's even certain people that claim that this was the motive for the reason why the Bordens were murdered was because this <laughs> breakfast is so much. <laughs> So, remember how I said that mutton soup that they ate was bad? Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. Their breakfast consisted of more of the goddamn mutton soup, <laughs> sliced mutton, pancakes, bananas, pears, cookies, and coffee. All right. That is just so much food. Just so much. Um... Yeah. So Bridget was the first one up, followed immediately by Andrew, who emptied the evening's chamber pot into the backyard and then sat down for breakfast. <laughs> Yum. With fresh pears that he picked up off the ground next to where he threw. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, they weren't washing those pears. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, there's a reason why all these people have food poisoning. But, you know. Yep. So after breakfast, Andrew saw Uncle John and then brushed his teeth at the kitchen sink where Bridget was washing dishes. A couple seconds later, Bridget rushes out to the backyard and vomits. So um, here's the list of things that she could have had wrong with her. She also ate the mutton soup. Watching someone else brushing their teeth next to her while she's trying to cook. <laughs> or... That dirty-ass pear that he ate after he threw shit on yeah. the ground. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it was, yeah. Um, and then inside, Mother Abby was, you know, sitting in her 50,000 layers of gowns that women wore at the time. And she saw Bridget and she was like, hey, 
I want you to wash all of the windows, all of them, inside and out right now. When it's a million degrees, right this second. So she does because she's good at what she does, right? Um, But the question was, was like, why would you order someone who's sick to wash windows on a day where she was just going to get hotter and sicker and more uncomfortable? just seemed kind of cruel and unusual for her. Um, so somebody that wrote a biography of the, at the time by the name of Victoria Lincoln was like, it just seemed odd for her, but maybe she was just indifferent to the housekeeper. No, not for sure. It just was an odd thing to have someone do. Yeah. So around nine o'clock in the morning, it's thought that while everyone else is busy, Abby is up in the guest room making Uncle John's bed and she's murdered. Okay. That's what we think happened, right? Around 11, it's thought that Andrew was murdered. During this two hour period of time, Lizzie was just straight up weirdly calm. So like... Your stepmom's been murdered upstairs in the guest room. Your dad's been murdered downstairs in like the living room. And you're just hanging out in the kitchen with Bridget. Because Bridget was inside trying to start to prep lunch. And she's ironing handkerchiefs. She's sewing a button on a blouse. She's chattering with Bridget about dresses being on sale. She's reading the Harper's Weekly. It's all very calm. So it seems very normal, right? So like I said, around 1030, Andrew came home after running a bunch of errands and he decides to take a nap on a sitting room couch. And right before 11, Bridget goes up to her attic room because she's like, you know what? I actually don't feel good. I'm going to die. So I'm going to go lay down for a little bit. And Lizzie's just like, okay, cool. Bye. See you, girlfriend. And at about 1115, she hears all of a sudden, Maggie, remember that's her word for her. Maggie, come down quick. Father's dead. Someone came in and killed him. (laughs) I don't know what sort of emphasis were placed on any of those words, but in my head, it was very like, hey, come here, come quick. Uh, Somebody came in here and killed him. Sounds like one of those really bad 911 calls that just make you. Right. Or they're like creepy calm about it. Yeah. I mean, I know people react lots of different ways, but those are always very creepy. So, yeah. Yeah. So indeed someone had, um, (laughs) he had been hacked 11 times, at least with the same weapon. Um, things were cut in half. His nose was severed from his face. Pretty brutal. So Lizzie decides to respond as any one would at the time and sends um, Bridget for Alice Russell and Dr. Bowen and then sits down on the back steps. So her next door neighbor comes over and is like, Hey, what's going on? And she's like, Oh, Oh, hi, Mrs. Churchill. You know what? Come on over. Someone killed dad. (laughs) And the neighbor comes over and she's like, I'm sorry, honey, what do you mean? Someone killed your dad. And she's like, just go take a look. So she walks in and she's like, Hi, where's your stepmom at, sweetie? And she's like, you know, I don't know, but 
I don't know, but the, that she's been killed too, because I think I heard her came in. Like, all of the words out of order, sounding like a fucking crazy person. So eventually Bridget returns with Miss Russell, who's that neighbor that they're friends with, and Dr. Bowen. Now, here's the interesting thing to note. Um, Dr. Bowen is one of four doctors in the area, but she wanted a specific doctor that was not Irish. So he had to go further away to get okay. to him. So he examines Andrew, gets a sheet and covers his body. Lizzie's like, Bridget, go get this. Um, and Bridget's just like, yeah, sure. And then she goes, oh, better get two of them. And Bridget's like, huh? <laughs> so then Bridget and Mrs. Churchill, the sweet neighbor lady who did not know what she was in for that day, decide you know we better kind of look for abby because some shit seems weird right now Mm -hmm. so they start looking around and and poor sweet mrs churchill this blessed woman opens up the guest room and it's like ah shit i found her shuts the door and runs immediately into the sweet little neighbor girl miss alice russell who's just like oh no is there another all these poor women, I can't even imagine it's a thousand degrees in this house. They're all wearing corsets and bustles and like layers <laughs> and it's hot. And oh, anyhow, I'm getting hot thinking about it. So Mrs. Churchill looks at Miss Russell and she's like, yeah, she's upstairs. Um, it seems that she's dead. <laughs> it would appear she is dead. Yeah. yeah. So she has been struck 19 times with a hatchet and due to the dark congealedness of the blood, the doctors believe that she's been killed first. Okay. So it's about noon. Now we're talking noon. We haven't come anywhere really time-wise uncle John returns from his business ventures of the morning to get lunch sees all the cops in the crowd and he's like oh fuck what the hell happened so he walks up knowing something's wrong assuming the worst and walks in and the cops are like you did this (laughs) but on the way into the house the dude picks up some pears from the yard and is eating them under a tree (laughs) with these pears Anyhow, so he's kind of being watched, but the police are questioning Lizzie because she's acting kind of like calm. So mm-hmm. they're like, hey, what what were you doing at this time? And she's like, well, I walked out to the barn and when I came back, my dad was dead. Well, what did you go to the barn for? To get a piece of lead for a fishing sinker. Sure. Sure right um seems a little weird so the detectives think that she's kind of not really with it um and decide that i'll come back later and i'll question you when you're feeling better and she goes no i can tell you everything i know now just as well as i can later and he's like okay so he he says something along the lines of, you know, when your mother did this and she sits up straight and she goes, she is not my mother, sir. She is my stepmother. My mother died when I was a child. Yeah, as you do in the middle of a, you know, murder investigation. But yeah. Right. 
So their sweet neighbor, Miss Alice Russell, and the neighbor doctor, Dr. Bowen, take her upstairs to lay down. And Lizzie says to the doctor, hey, will you send a telegram to my sister in Fairhaven and be sure to put it gently because there's an old person there who might be disturbed. So like, it's okay to upset your sister and not be gentle and be like, yo, your parents died, but like do it in a way that you won't upset your, your host. So however you can make this work the best, right? Yep. So apparently... <laughs> this article cracks me up. Dr. Bowen must have sent the gentlest wire on record because <laughs> Emma didn't catch the next train or the one after that or the one after that. She didn't return until the last train of the day, which was at like seven o'clock at night, mm-hmm. which seemed must have been a very nice telegram. I mean, it must have just been <laughs> really well. So when Dr. Bowen comes back after agreeing to send this telegram, Lizzie says to him, I tore up a note and I threw the pieces in the trash can in the kitchen. So he goes running downstairs and he puts them together. And this detective walks in and sees the name Emma. And he says, what? And the detective's like, what, what is this? What, what's this? And the doc's like, oh, it's nothing. And he goes, it is something. I think about my daughter going through somewhere. And I'm like, wait, what? What do you mean? Um, and before the detective could really react, the doctor swipes up all the papers and throws them into the fire, <laughs> burning this note. And then he lifts the stove lid and they can see a foot long cylindrical stick laying in the flames. So later in the cellar, they find a hatchet head that had been washed and rolled while wet in the furnish to simulate like a lot of dust or disuse so basically they find the axe handle in the stove and they find the hatchet head in the basement but it's covered in like wet ashes to make it look old okay Hmm. so then they go out to the barn because they still don't really get this whole sinker story that she's trying to float yeah i mean i don't believe it so they find that she has been in the barn but probably not to look for sinkers um in the barn there's a vice there's blacksmithing tools and a water pump a water pump you say so blood can be washed from metal but not from porous wood so she knew she had to separate the hatchet head from the handle and burn part of it so she did all this in a very very short period of time without any panic Mm -hmm. so what they think happened is that she really had been in the barn and she felt com- like this compulsive honesty to admit to the cops that she'd been out there. And then like, she had to come up with a reason that seemed pretty innocent for going out there. So she lied about why and when she was there, but didn't deny what yeah. she was, yeah. you know, having been there. And then This is the same kind of thing that happens when they go eventually to a trial. Her friend, Miss Alice Russell kind of has that same, like she, she mentions things happen, but she doesn't really stress them as being important. So like, oh yeah, by the way, she mentioned the night before that her dad was going to get murdered, but it didn't seem like that big of a deal. But you know what, what I did notice was that on the day that her parents were murdered, but yeah, she kind of mentioned someone was going to do it the day before, you know, like 
Mm-hmm. It made it not seem that significant. So one of the things that Alice mentions is that on a trip upstairs on the murder day, she sees Lizzie coming out of Emma's room with a bundled up blanket that she throws on the floor of Emma's closet. So what the hell was she doing in there? So this is one of those things. There is not a lot of evidence in this trial. What the assumption is, is that if someone did murder them with this hatchet, there would be blood spatter on the murderer. Mm -hmm. So what they assume happened is what's bundled up on the floor of Emma's closet is blood stained stocking stress, you name it. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) the prosecution never looked for this evidence because it seemed so like innocuous when Alice mentioned it. She was like, Oh yeah, I saw her carrying um, blankets and she put it in the closet. No (laughs) big deal. This is just what happens every day. It's all good. Um, so yeah, that evidence just kind of gets ignored, right? Yeah. There's even some arguments that because there's no evidence of anyone covered in blood, the murderer may have committed the crime in the nude. This is a very common theory, um, but there's no, there's nothing to agree to that, right? Yeah. So everybody who saw Lizzie after the murders testifies there's not a drop of blood on her. How could she have possibly washed this blood off of her skin and hair in a house that has no running water? She was completely dry by the time everyone got there. Um, Common sense says that, you know, she could have used items around the house to clean herself, such as her sanitary napkins. So they found a bucket of what we would now refer to as pads or, you know, Mm -hmm. tampons. Um, At the time, they were basically like cloths that they use that you put in your slop pail, which because she was already on her cycle, she had plenty of. Mm -hmm. So like they found a bucket full of bloody cloth and she was like, oh yeah, I'm on my period. That's why that's there. And it's plausible, right? Okay, so they have evidence, but it's not anything they can really use with anything. So then they come to, okay, what about the dress? So maybe she was wearing a dress and she just took it off and like was able to scrub herself down well enough to get away with this, right? So Mm -hmm. what happened to it? I don't know. Where would you put a dress? I don't know. Maybe in a closet. Uh, Especially if you have a crap ton of blue dresses, maybe you take your summer lightweight dress and you stick it underneath one of your 50,000 other blue dresses, especially one of your thick, heavy woolen winter dresses, put it in the closet because when the cops come looking through the closets, they're going to go, I'm not looking for a winter dress and there's a ton of dresses in, none of them have blood, bye, and walk away. Maybe. But there's no blood. There's no dress. We have nothing. Maybe she was wearing her father's long coat because it would have reached her ankles. But there's no blood on that coat. However... She is the likeliest suspect. Yeah. So Lizzie Borden is arrested. And that, my friend, is only the beginning 
of this story. Nice. So this is obviously a two-parter. Well done. I, I've got some questions, though. So yes. you got you got Bridget that's cleaning windows this whole time. Bridget never hears screams as people are axed to death or anything anywhere. Like, nope. In fact, at one point, she says that she's in the house, or no, she's outside cleaning windows because mm-hmm. remember she has to do inside and out, and she hears a noise. And she calls out and she says she thinks she hears Lizzie giggling on the second floor. (laughs) And Lizzie says later that that never happened, but that's the only noise that she hears. Yeah. And once again, there's no screaming from dad when he's murdered, which would have been a very small window of time. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're attacking somebody with an axe, you know, on the surprise, and you, you know, do one nasty blow, they're not going to make any noise, but, you know. Yep. But, yeah, no, I, you know. Yeah, I'd always kind of wondered what the family dynamic was, if, like, you know, the mom was your mommy dearest no-wire coat hanger sort or what, but it seems more like it was just pure built-up miserly jealousy sort of whatever, so... Maybe it's just crazy. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows what yeah. goes on? The old who knows what goes on behind closed doors, sort of thing. You know what? It's a very right. strange tale. Yes. And like the more I read about it, the funnier it kind of got to me because it's like this is I can't even imagine in a time where they had no forensic science, where she kind of gets made a folk hero in the newspapers as we love to do with the you yeah. know public enemy number one. It just gets weirder and weirder as it goes on. Um, So there's a ton of movies out there that depict this in TV shows and things. And I just don't know that they do it well, Uh, but there's a ton of that out there. So if you're interested, definitely get into it, but we still have so much more. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah, no, it's always, yeah, it's just one of those that you you hear about, but don't know any details of, you know, you just know of Lizzie Borden having murdered her parents, even though, you know. Well, and the funny yeah. thing is that there's really no details about yeah. the murder because it was so far back before any good forensic science, before you had good like autopsies and things. Yeah. It's all kind of a, I, I looked even for some good story about body placement, something, you know, it yeah. just says that the mom was upstairs in a, in the spare bedroom. The most information they have is the dad. I mean, you, there's actually photos you can see, but I don't yeah. know because there's blankets over their head. You can't really see anything, but like, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. I know I saw a while back, you know, people were going back through the house and using luminol to look for blood remnants to see where things actually had happened and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So here's a fun fact about luminol. Luminol actually doesn't show you where blood is. Luminol shows you where you tried to clean up blood. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. It actually is reacting to the Clorox is what I think. So what you see is like the around area where you tried to clean it. Not the, it's not like it's reacting to the iron in the blood. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. I've been listening to a podcast about murder again and they had like a whole 20 minute tangent on this. (laughs) Good to know. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of the most recent thing I'd seen was several years ago, some story where they were going back and reinvestigating and looking at all this stuff. So, yeah. So the Borden house um, is a bed and breakfast and it's very like, well-known for the ghost hunting circles and the people that are going to, the modern day, you know, documentary filmers that are going to solve the Borden stories and things like that. Yeah. Nice. Well, looking forward to part two. You should be. Oh, yes. (laughs) You should be. Exactly. (laughs) Anyhow. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you. Um, I guess, as always, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends about our podcasts, and we will be back next week with some more Lizzie Borden fun. So, bye. <laughs> bye. Catch y'all later. <laughs>